What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all-new episode. This is Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. And this week, we have LA resident and Redwoods midfielder legend in the studio with us, Joe Walters. If you've been around the cross at all, you know the legend of Joe. He's one of probably the only player in lacrosse that is known and recognized just by his first name, Joe. TLN did a show on him once a few years ago. We talked about that. He also grew up in upstate New York. He played at Maryland. He donned the prestigious number one jersey. He has had a long and very successful professional career. We cover it all. Ladies and gentlemen, there may not be a more underappreciated player in the PLL right now. Joe will be a National Hall of Famer. And we talk about that and a lot more. So tune in. This piece was recorded before the expansion draft, and I actually made Joe put out a prediction on who he thought the Redwoods would get back and who he preferred to get back. So we talk about that as well toward the end. All right, let's get into the beginning. All right. All right, we're rocking. So I got Joe Walters here. Joe was texting me this weekend. He says his first podcast. I can't believe you haven't done a podcast before. Saving the bus for the first. It's a disrespect, man. Story of my career, man. <laughs> Story of my career. Yeah, I, was, I kind of was. Uh, so we've had a chance to play with each other and, and then against and then done a bunch of Team USA tryouts together. Never played on the same USA team. Uh, but my sense is you're, you're you, you always kind of, especially on the field, you have a chip on your shoulder. Always. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's what makes me the player I am. But I feel like ever since high school, I've always kind of, you know, haven't been, I wasn't a big recruit. Um, you know, even in college, I, I felt like I always had to prove myself. So that's just that's just who I am as a player. Even you were rookie of the year in ACC. <laughs> yeah, but when I first stepped on campus, I was, in my opinion, I didn't I didn't think I was going to be anybody. You know, when I first when I first got there. So again, that's just kind of who I am as a player. Maryland. A lot of people would say that. So you recruited in Maryland. They'd be like, you you weren't under recruited. You played at one of the best schools in the country. So I was recruited to go to Loyola. Coach Cottle, he had me sold. I was locked in. I was going to Loyola. Yeah. He got the job at Maryland. And I remember growing up, I went to every Final Four at, you know, at College Park. So when he went there, he called me the next day, offered me the same scholarship. I was like, yo, I'm in. Let's he go just, right yeah, away. Like, he just pulled you. Pulled me. My, uh, one of my assistant coaches in high school, his son, Andrew Whipple, uh, was one of the, you know, the guys in the late, late 90s. It was uh, – Matt Hahn, Andrew Whipple, Scott Hockstad, that was one of the best attacks of all time. Yeah. So I grew up going to the Final Fours, watching him, you know, being coached by his dad, and you know, he, was, he was like my idol growing up, so that's where I wanted to go. Do you think a lot of players commit based on the relationship with the coach? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a powerful and immediate switch, going from Loyola to, to uh, no, we wish we had that Hopkins, <laughs> <Bro>. Loyola to <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Wait, yeah. did Hopkins not recruit you? Oh, man, I don't remember. I now I feel like you've told that story before, where Petro didn't recruit you. The story, did, well, or? no, it's so it's Syracuse. Syracuse. Syracuse never recruited me, which is heartbreaking. Like growing up, I went to every Syracuse home game. Like I, I bled blue and orange. That like, was going to be one of my questions. Like, why come all the way down to yeah, Maryland? So they used to not really recruit west of Syracuse. Nope. Rochester, Buffalo, never got a look, and um, you know that was me. I just never got a look. I, I always tell the story. If they would have sent me any letter. Said, hey, like we think you're decent at lacrosse. I would have went there in a heartbeat. Just a letter, no doubt. Just a letter, no doubt. I would have went there. Just that's how much I love. Syracuse. Did you get a scholarship at Maryland? Yeah. Freshman yeah. year. Freshman year, yeah. And then did it get bumped up or got is bumped it up? Got yeah. bumped up. Yep. So no scholarship, you would have gone to Cuse. I mean, 
looking back on it, yeah, probably. Do you have any? Do you have any desk? I'll, t- I'll tell you a desk story. So that that is definitely true. Where they they tend to not recruit outside of their region, um, and I think he would really kind of live in the state of New York, although you're from Rochester. But he called my house on July 1st, and I was playing in a summer lacrosse league. I was playing in Annapolis, and I think he had called at 5 o'clock that day or so. So I was actually playing in a game. Uh. And I remember coming back, my mom being like, Coach, Coach Desco called from Syracuse. I was like, holy shit, that's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah. You know? I'm, and, and what did he say? And, and she was like, well, I told him you were playing, which you would think is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'd, I'll call back. And I think at the time... I, I don't know that this is the case now. Recruiting has flipped on its head, but we would never like pick up the phone and call coaches. It was no. yeah. kind of a one-way thing, which made it great. And he never called back. And that was it. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, gosh, Syracuse is so legendary. I would have definitely considered going there. 100%. I mean, I had Hopkins, Virginia, Syracuse, and then Maryland, and some of the outside ACC schools because they were ACC. But when you're talking about perennial powers, this was like the Powell era. Dude, they went to like 20... 20- Two twenty-four straight, straight final, final fours. I forgot about like that. who. There's no other straight program. Final straight fours. final fours. It was like, a lock every year, every year. They were playing Memorial Day weekend every year, man. So again, like <sighs> going to every home game, like just being, you know, the the program that they are. I want to go there so bad. So why did you love lacrosse so much? Ah uh, man, I started when I was eight. Um, I used to wrestle growing up, and one of my buddies asked me if I want to come out for lacrosse. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I've never mm-hmm. never done it, never heard about it. And I went out there and I was just brutal. I mean, you know, like you don't, no one's ever really good when they first pick up a stick. Yeah. I couldn't cradle, couldn't pass or catch, but there was just something about it. You know, it's a fast sport, running up and down the field. I mean, I feel like I picked up a ball and just shot at the net and scored with yeah. no goalie in. So it was like, this is cool. Like, it was an Always awesome get sport. out of the way at that age. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, man, this is, this is good. And then the more and more I practiced, the better I got. And then it just became super fun. And um, what I, what really made me fall in love with it is just, Again, going to Syracuse games, and I think once I got <clears throat> like sort of you know older, older, so I could realize it. It's not size related. Where anybody can be a great player, that's when I really like fell in love with it. Like, man, maybe maybe someday I can be a high school All American or play at Syracuse. But or, you're not a small dude. I'm an average size guy. You're bigger than average. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> uh, so wait, so 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 you decided you were gonna. You're gonna to commit to lacrosse, but then I remember watching you because you're a couple classes older than me. But I remember watching you shoot, and uh, and your lefty shot was something that the game hadn't really seen outside of Sean Hartoffelis. Did you ever watch Sean Hartoffelis? So who did you model your shot off of? Dude, Hardo, his brother Mike yeah. was one of my best friends in college. Oh, really? Yeah, he's my classmate. And growing up, you know, Sean was. He went to Maryland. He went to Maryland. Yeah. yeah. He, his brother is unreal. So yeah, watching him, um, you know, we we had a goalie coach in high school that he just he taught me a lot about shooting, uh, Jeff Schwartz, and just um, just practicing a ton, man. That's I just kind of again watching a lot of lacrosse, picking things from different guys, their games, and just just in the backyard working. What about so so Sean Artafelis was pure lefty, but what about uh, a, a point in your practice career where you decided fuck it, I'm just going to keep it in my left hand the whole time. I, I get asked that all the time. I don't know, I don't know when that came about, but I do know that when I got to Maryland, Coach Cottle didn't waste time telling me to go to my right. He he would always say, because you know D guys would literally force me to my right hand, play with their butt to the sideline where I have to go right, 
and I would do that. I would go right every now and then, and it's like it wouldn't, it would never amount to anything. I would turn the ball over or just not be the player who I am. And say, listen, I don't care what they do. Just get to your left. I don't give a shit if they're forcing your right. You get to your left. So that's kind of how I developed into. I don't want to say like that hybrid style of playing indoor, but I just became more of that. Well, I'm just gonna keep my left. I'm gonna, you know, turn my body a certain way so that I'm never gonna go to my right. And um, it's just kind of that's just the style I, I developed. What do you, what did you what are some like things that you've picked up tactics that have helped you, um, you know, basically penetrate consistently and get back over the top to your left hand or bait and switch guys and shoot low angled and I feel like. Um, just playing basketball growing up, that kind of helped. Uh, you know, doing doing a lot of like rocker steps. Um, you know, where you're gonna fake like you're gonna go right, good back top side, or put it in my right, fake like I'm gonna get back to my left, and then go underneath. That's yeah. that's a that's a big move. I do that a lot. But again, it's just a matter of it's a mindset. If you want to get to your strength, you can do it. You just gotta you gotta commit like to it. Like good leverage and poise too. Yep. One of the things that that you do far better than than me, and I've always tried to replicate, but I, I can't figure it out. I've had conversations with you, and I've have a conversation with guys like Lyle too, is you're, you're able to get to your strong hand while not sprinting there or muscling someone there. It, it's almost like luring someone to sleep. Yeah. And, and so it requires a lot of poise and I, th I think a good sense for the game that having that sixth sense. Uh, does that, do you develop that in practice? I think that's, <clears throat> you know, we don't, we don't practice every day. So I think it's a lot of being a student of the game watching guys I watch a ton of lacrosse I've watched a ton of lacrosse since I was a little kid and I, I routinely do that to this day like I watched you know some indoor games last weekend um just just watching what guys like Lyle guys like Cody Jameson what they're doing how they get to their strength and I think that's what um you have to do as a player um but for me you know playing indoor really helped my game I think that when I was probably five six seven years ago playing field my game, or maybe probably more than that, like eight years ago, my game was more, I can dodge downhill. I'm going to run, shift, get back to my strength. Whereas now, I'm 35 years old, I'm not running by guys. That's just not my game. It hasn't been my game for five, five years, four or five years. And that's when you got to make a, you know, a change. you got to start to use different moves that are slower, right? They're, they're not fast moves. They're not fast-paced, explosive moves. But you can still always get to your strength. What about shot deception? going from being able to shoot overhand, sidearm, underhand, and start throwing twisters, to start shooting low angle, like yeah. really hesitate and convince the goalie to go one direction with your shoulders and head? Yeah. That's Is that a, picked up from the indoor game too? That's indoor. That's um, that's practice. That's also just not having a really fast shot either. You Be, gotta, because it seems, like, it seems like you played box your whole life, but you were new, just as new to the, to the NLL as I was yeah. when we were out. I got thrown in. I mean, I got – I didn't play for two years when I got out of college. I got that's a that's a story in itself. But um, you know, eventually I got picked up by the Nighthawks, yeah. and uh, I thought, man, I, I've watched these guys growing up. I've watched the Nighthawks since I was a little kid. I can play this. Like, I know I'm a good player, and I got thrown in the fire, and I was terrible, absolutely terrible. I used to get scratched every game, booed by my hometown. Damn. And yeah, man, like it. That was, that was. Uh, and they were the third team. You worked your way up to that, right? What do you mean? Like, weren't you drafted by... Oh, yeah. So I was, you know, had a good career at Maryland, drafted by Buffalo. Buffalo. <laughs> and I was still in school. So I had to finish up school. I was living in D.C. And I told Buffalo, I was like, listen, I'm not going to be able to play. I have class all week long. You practice on Tuesdays. I'm not going to be able to commit to be, a, to be a good player, to be a positive contributor to your team by not coming to practice. And I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that anyways. 
So I believe it was um, it was Darius Kilgore. He was pissed off. Yeah, you know he's a fiery coach. You know, I mean he is fucking outright mad. He motherfucked me a couple times. Yeah, and it's like I feel bad. Like you wasted a pick, but at the same time, you never called me beforehand. You never asked me what my plans were. So I, I was still in DC. I, I didn't play. Didn't report. They ended up trading me to Philly because I asked. I was like, hey, well, if you can, like, I want to play for Philly because I'm here. I'm in D.C. This is the closest team. They ended up uh, trading me to Philly, but at that time I moved to Rochester. <laughs> like, when they eventually did it, I moved to Rochester. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not playing for Philly now. I'm, I'm in Rochester. So I didn't play for two years. And after two years, you're a free agent. You can sign with whoever you want. So that's why I signed with Rochester. Um, and again, I was I was bad. And that was the road. Yeah, that was the road. Yeah, I, I kind of I remember that now because I, I was playing in the NLL before you, and I, I never thought I didn't know you well enough to to talk about that process. I will say though, I think when your rights were with Buffalo, Kilgore, when we were playing in Buffalo once, it was like seventeen thousand people there, yeah. and it was an intense game. And I was playing in Seattle at the time, or maybe it was San Jose, but it was with the Stealth, and we had made a play. Uh, and and I was you know picking up a lot of loose balls off the faceoff because of uh, Jamison Kester, yeah. and I would line up for a faceoff near their bench. And at one point during the game, he wanted to fight me. He he was asking me to fight him. I believe it. He, he, I believe he it. was pulling his tie off, and he was going, "Rabel, you motherfucker, come over here! I'm gonna fight you!" And I was like thinking to myself. I'm, huh. What am I gonna fight a coach right now? First of all, I'm not going to. He's gonna whoop my ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's how intense he was. Yep. And so, all right. So, you, so you get to Rochester, and you were part of that dynasty. So you won three championships there. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Eventually. What was yeah. it like first? It was just again three years where I was a scratch almost every game. I would get in maybe once or twice a year, and just you know wasn't good. My first year was was pretty cool. I got to play with Gary Gate. So that was um. You know, pretty pretty legendary. Yeah. Um, what was that like? One of my heroes, man. Just trying to learn as much as I could. Paul Paul was our brother. Or was our was our coach. Yeah. Paul Gate was our coach. So it's like, man, I got these guys that I was a little kid idolizing these guys, and now I'm playing with one, being coached by the other. Super cool. Talk so, about size too. Those guys are big. They're people don't realize that. Yeah. They're they're beasts, and you know what? The the beating that they took since they were, you know, I'm sure since they were little kids, but. I, their bodies are just super resilient. Yeah, resilient, but they're jacked. Their shoulders are the size of our heads. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> yeah, and they're fast. They could jump. Yep. Everyone knows the Airgate story. Yep. <laughs> so what, what did you take from Gary? Anything in particular? He, he used to always, I, I remember being at practice with him, just trying to teach me how to finish. And back then I used a ton of whip, and you just, I mean, you know. You can't do that in indoor. Can't do that in indoor. So I was stubborn as shit. I always just wanted to have the stick that I used in college, and it just took me years and years and years to get over that. But he would always try and work on my finishing with me. Yeah. And just. Uh, did he have any like pregame preparation? Did he st did he have? I mean, the guy did a lot of things right. Yeah. I mean, the greatest to ever play the game, certainly offensively, and uh, but you, but we hear a lot of stories about different athletes, different sports. Was was. And toward the end of his career, was he putting in a lot of work before games, after games, or did he just was he like Jack Nicholas cruise mode? Yeah, his cruise mode. Cruise mode. <laughs> <laughs> he was cruise mode. At I, that I, stage, he could be. He was like, I, I feel like at the end, and again, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like he was just getting a pretty, pretty large paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but still um, playing. It was still that was when John Grant, um, who again, another one of my heroes. Yeah. He, uh, he was hurt. Remember, he was in bad shape with his knee gotten bad infection so he was out and that's what they got Gary to come in and fill in so and then you got to look eventually eventually well eventually 
after years of just being bad, uh, Mike Hazen, who I credit a lot of my indoor success to him. I mean, he he invited me to go play up up north in the summer. So I played senior A for two summers in a row. Brampton, right? With Brampton. First summer, he put together a team. It was kind of, you know, the bad news bears, just guys that weren't supposed to be very good. We weren't supposed to be very good at all. You know, Six Nations, obviously, they always load up. Peterborough, great team. And we ended up winning the Man Cup which is the yeah. national championship for, for, for men in, in Canada. So yeah. it was, um, you know, for me, being a part of that team, just put things into perspective. Who else was on that team? Dan Dawson, uh, Zach Greer, you know, guys like uh, Cosmo was our goalie, Kyle Rubish. Just we had oh, great, so you great had team. Studs. No, we had studs, but offensively I feel like we were kind of just the bad news bears is putting, putting guys together. Yeah, it's usually Six Nations in Peterborough. Every year. And Brampton made a run. Was Brody playing for Six Nations then? Oh, man, Brody was. I, th- I want to see Six Nations. Yeah, yeah. And he's also one of your idols, right? Love that guy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Would you say he's your favorite player to watch of all time? He's just one of my favorite teammates. Teammates. One yeah. of my favorite teammates, man. Obviously, he's you know incredible to watch, but just what he does in the locker room, you, you just want to win for that guy. There's, there's, he does everything right. He's just a good guy, good man, and. Um, you just want to play. You want to play hard. Yeah. You want to put everything out there for for him. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to this disrespect. So this <laughs> dude, three championships in the NLL, won MLL championships, won a Man Cup, Team USA player, ACC Rookie of the Year, ACC Player of the Year, Jack Turnbull, Attackman of the Year. Doesn't get it on any fucking podcasts. Fucking but the the the, the uh, content series that TLN did on you called Joe. Yep, I remember that was dope. Shout out to Colin and Samir. Yeah, there you go. That was sick. So this disrespect does that that does does that take on uh, a a med, does that spur a thought that in your head while you play or that you live with that uh, is difficult to live with? It's not. It's it's just it adds fuel. You know, I think it's um I've. I've I've realized that over the years, I, I've just always been that that player. You know, whether it's endorsement deals or whatever it might be, it's just always that underdog. And you know, I, I play with that chip, and I feel like if if I didn't have that, I don't know what my game would be like. I don't know who I would be as a person, who I would be as a player. Um, but I do know that you know I'll, I'll embrace it, and I'll uh, I'll just I'll just run with it. Do you think the combination of your leadership on the Redwoods this year, and then take Notre Dame, where I've I've had close friends who've played for Notre Dame, and uh, and then competitors now and they tend to have that chip on their shoulder too yeah as as relatively a a a university it's not brought up in the same breath of the blue bloods of hopkins and syracuse maryland virginia you name it so is that chip you think a part of that redwoods team yeah i think we um that's who has a bigger chip you or the notre dame guys (laughs) i mean i gotta say the notre dame guys you really i mean i don't (laughs) come on man there's no one more bitter than you (laughs) which is a good thing but you want to kill people I when when I put that helmet on, like I literally want to fucking kill people. Yeah. I, I li- and it's not that I want to kill people, like hitting people because that's not me. I don't hit right. people. I don't. I don't you play just defense. Wanna win. But I want to win, and I want to. You know, you know, I want to big win big. I want to win big. I just want to. Um, and you want to make them know. I want to make them know, big. and I would just. <laughs> I just want like, you know, <laughs> there's so much out there like talking shit, but it's like, I I I love my team. I love my teammates and. Anyone that steps in the way, like we're just gonna show you that we, we're gonna fucking kill you. There was a there was a series of mic'd ups throughout the season where you were the feature, yeah. Because you're constantly talking shit. I remember people in the office because you know you run PL Academy with Hartzell and a number of other folks here. Yeah. People were like, 
uh, Paul, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, I didn't know Joe was like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like there's I was a like, time. Yeah, that he just he, he turns it on. Yeah, I mean that's. I feel like you know if you if you look at you know growing up, it's gamesmanship too though. So everyone listening and I'm like advocating necessarily, but there's gamesmanship. Michael Jordan was the biggest shit talker in I, the world. I was just gonna say growing up, my heroes in other sports, right? Like Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, and those guys. Like when they when they put the shoes on, when they lace it up. They're out there for war. You know what I mean? No one is a friend out there. And I feel like you have to play that way. You have to have that that edge. Um, you know, Jordan's a great example of that. Yeah. Who do you think uh, in the league talks the most? Or probably who's the best trash talker in the PLL? Oh, man. Um, who's on mic'd up a lot? You? Uh, me, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not the best. I, I'm absolutely not the best. There's just guys that, like, they say things that just cut deep. Clever or mean? Clever, mean. clever, mean. Yeah. Just, they just know what to say. Like, I don't, I don't even, I can't think of any right now. Um, like KU. Like KU is a great. KU is good. He's a good shit talker. He just knows what to say, when to say it. Dominique's a good shit talker. He Dominique's just, good. Dominique is just, he just says a lot. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's just constantly like, on he's the just field constantly talking. on the field talking shit. When he's on the bench, just talking across the sideline. It's just like, it's annoying. What happened with you and McNeil? <laughs> he's, he's a guy right there like no bad blood whatsoever I like Mark on the field just annoying shit that he says he was and, just getting into it with and, you and, and I give it right back so yeah especially know. when and then when you start scoring oh man then you step scoring, on the throat step on the throat <laughs> when you when you start scoring that's like the ultimate like man see I told you man just yeah shut the fuck up yeah and but but he'll keep giving it and that's again it's it's all gamesmanship it's all it's all um it's all part of the game and what about your celebrations? You've always had really good celebrations. It's just watching other sports. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you premeditate those? Garnsey told me when he was in here. I heard, he I heard. He thinks about them. He thinks about them. I, I honestly, like, I can't think of any that I've thought about. Um, like the, the stick flip, yeah. that was one that I thought about. Um, I remember it was, uh, who's, who was it? Batista from... Who from was it? From the Blue Jays? Yeah. Remember that huge bat flip? Yep. That pissed everyone off? Yep. And it's not that I'm trying to piss anyone off, but it's just like something you can do with the stick. Right. But I feel like the PLL uh, allows us that opportunity to kind of, you know, show show our our, our character and um, or show our uh, just show some color. So it's 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 fun to be a part of. What about when you play? Uh, do you prefer getting an assist or scoring a goal? You know, man, I'm a assist guy. I, you're I, you're a great feeder. I that's something. But that I don't I, get the same sellies out of you when you make a great assist. You do you do selly hard, but yeah. when you score. Oh, we get the shit. There's nothing better than a goal. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing better than a big goal either. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, growing up, I, I, I've always been, um, I've always fed off, you know, being a good feeder. Uh, I think that's something I've developed over the years. Uh, vision, just being accurate with passing, and that's all come from indoor. Yeah, uh, that's hundred percent. Yeah, because that that that's another great point. You were. A goal scorer at, at Maryland. Yeah, I mean, constantly a goal scorer. Freshman, high to low, low to high, high <laughs> to low to high. Yeah, freshman year I was a finisher. I was an off ball finisher. Sophomore year I got the reins a little bit more, and then it just developed kind of from there, um, where Coach Cottle just trusted me with the ball, and I became a little bit more of a feeder, uh, more of a uh, more well-rounded attackman. And then, but once I got to play indoor, it just that really helped vision helped pinpoint accuracy you have to be accurate if you pass the ball you know over someone's head they're gonna get their head taken off so 
Yeah. You got to be accurate. I used to tell people, I, I get to play with one of the best off-ball finishers the game's ever had in Matt Poske. Huh. And, you know, it was almost automatic if you hit him in the stick that was by his ear. And, and he would like it right by his ear, right-handed. Oh. And I could go back and watch film, and I could count the 10 passes I threw him during yeah. the game. And if a pass hit him right by his ear and he could shoot, it was going in the net 80% of the time. Yeah. And if it was at the center of his head, if it was right by his hip, if it was certainly uh, you know off stick, then that that opportunity for him to score dropped down to thirty to forty percent. Yeah. And he and he was still better at it than most people. That'll drop down to ten percent if you don't catch it in in rhythm. Yeah. But it, it was like, man, if I can just focus on getting him the ball right by his ear, the delta there is is almost fifty percent more yeah. likely that it's going to go in. Funny story about him. He. So Matt was, we went to the first blue chip, first ever blue chip lacrosse camp. Yep. It was at McDonough, and he was a face-off guy. That's when they had the 90 people only invited, right? Or was there fewer? There, I mean, I, I don't know how many, there was like probably 50 to, to yeah. 90, something like that. that yeah, it. that was it. But he was a face-off guy. I was on the no, same team. No, he faced off? He was like the do-it-all midi, right? Like, <laughs> I swear to God, like face-off, play offense, play defense. But he was never, or I, I mean... Obviously, until he got to Virginia, I never knew him as a finisher. Right. And he developed that over time. But, yeah, he was a face-off guy. Yeah. So the I guess a couple of things for the face-off players out there. You can become a finisher like Matt Poske. <laughs> um, but, but going back to your point, developing your skill to feed. And I think it had probably had a lot to do with watching film as well because you're predicative on, on when the skip lane is going to open up seemingly – before it even does. And so it's a matter of timing to be able to read defenses. So how do you watch film? Do you watch for presumably all different ways, but but when you're trying to learn, how do you break up film and what are you studying? I like, you know, I like to do, and this is again, when I watch, even when I watch like the NBA or even when I watch NFL, watching guys like receivers run routes or, you know, backs just, you know, find the hole. I like watching players and just focusing on them. Don't watch anything else. So let's say growing up, I'd watch like Casey Powell or Mike Powell. Mike's like two years older than me. So he was, Casey was my hero, like one of my idols growing up. I went to every game. So I got to see Casey and like I idolized him. I worshiped Casey Powell. Every game at the Dome. Every single game. I never missed a game yeah. until maybe high school where I'd have a game myself. Wow. But then even in high school, Mike Powell, was, he was the guy, right? Like he's one of the greatest to ever play. Yep. And I would watch him. So I would go to games and just focus on one player and don't watch anything else, even off ball. Just focus on him and see what they do. Whether it's simple things from V cutting to get the ball, oh, okay, I, you got to do that. You know, if a guy's pressuring you, it can backdoor. Just little things like that. So, you know, watching guys and not focusing on anything else—that's how you become, you know, a student of the game, and that's how you watch. That's how I watch, and and, and really learn. Quick break in the action with J Dubs. This episode is being supported by Shop.PremierLacrosseLeague.com. That's our official PLL merchandise store. That's where everyone who is a PLL fan, a Joe Walters fan, a fan of yours truly, you guys can show your pride for the sport and for our league by being a part of the fastest growing sports league in the world. That's what they were saying at NBA All Star Game last weekend. That's what they're saying at Super Bowl. Who is they? Everyone. So grab your merch and support the movement. The PLL shop has everything from jerseys, t-shirts, our Vineyard Vines collection that's been crushing, team socks, hats, etc. So go to shop.premierlacrosseleague.com. Let's get back to Joe. What coaches come to mind, some of the best? You had mentioned Cottle, but others that you've played for that's helped you think about the game, watch film better, or play differently? So Coach Cottle, you know, he's my guy. You know, I, and um, 
he got me to Maryland. He trusted me at Maryland. He, uh, I've been through a lot with him, whether it was almost getting kicked out of school because of my grades, whether it was him, you know, trading for me to play in the pro leagues. It, you know, he's just done so much for my career. Um, he's taught me a lot about being an offensive player because he was a really good offensive player himself. Um, but I talked about Andrew Whipple, you know, the guy went, that went to Maryland. His dad was my assistant coach at high school in high school. And he was a screamer. You know what I mean? He was a guy that you just feared. A yeah. lot of guys feared. But for me, I embraced it. You know, he's, he's, he's yelling at you because he, he wants you to be a good player. And I can remember one story in particular where we were losing in the sectional semifinals. And this is a game. We were Class B, so we were always Class A, which is like the highest class, um, the, you know, the, the big schools. And we went down to Class B. They, they changed the, you know, the requirements for, for school size. So we went down to Class B. And this is a lock. Like we're we're gonna win the sectional title, easy should be an easy win. We're playing Victor, and we're down at half. And I remember him coming up to me, and he gets in my face, grabs my face mask. He's like face mask. He's like, listen, you're not gonna be a pimple on Andy's ass if you fucking play like this. And I'm like, yo, I'm a sophomore in high school, and I'm like, oh man, I think he's kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> he's not wrong. We ended up losing anyways, but it's like. Guys like that, coaches like that, some some guys fear them. Some guys are intimidated by screamers and yellers and, you know, whatever. But, you know, those are when, – when coaches yell at you, when they scream, it's because they, they want you to be a good player. You know, they, they trust you. They, they, they believe in you. And you got to just – you just got to run with it. Does it take you a while to – like at first do you get reactive or defensive and then you come around? How, how would you process that back when you were in high school to now? I think when I was like in high school and in college, I used to get – I used to get pissed off. I used to kind of be like, yeah. "It's impossible not to." Yeah, I get pissed off, and I would have a pricky attitude, you know. And and um, and and I feel like as I got older, you know, you kind of realize. And obviously, things change. Where now I'm the prick. Now I'm yelling at people. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, um, but uh, you know, I feel like just growing up, yeah, you, you're always. I was always mad. I was angry. I was. I wanted to. I didn't want to be that guy that someone's yelling at. But at the same time, you gotta. It takes some time. It takes a little, you know, a quarter or two. But eventually, you you settle down and you and you realize, all right, well, you gotta make some plays. Yeah. So so you talked about having trouble in school. What was that like at at Maryland? Oh man. So I I heard Garnsey's Garnsey's story about yeah. this, but I've got a pretty similar one. Um, in high school, growing up, I, I was never a good student. You know, I'll be the first to admit it. Um, my dad, you know, used to. He, my dad's a screamer too, so he would always yell at me, scream at me, like he, you know, trying trying to get me in the right direction. And just for me, it just didn't stick. Yeah, you know, it just wasn't it wasn't something I was really concerned with. I, yeah. I, I wanted to be outside, shooting hoops. I wanted to get in the backyard, shooting shots uh, on the field, and you know, just getting on the wall. And that's just that's what I focused on. So I was lucky enough to get into Maryland. You know, I I, I didn't do great on my SATs. I got into Maryland. I was that one guy. What that, was your SAT score? Oh man, I think it was like a, like a 1080. 1080. Yeah. yeah, it's not great. It's it's, it's not it, great. It, it would but it would not get me in to Maryland if I wasn't playing lacrosse. Right, hundred percent. That's right. And I remember, but it's above the bar to even have a conversation with an AD. I think the bar for an AD in all sports yeah. is like nine or nine fifty. Yeah, something like I mean, that. That was pretty much me. Yeah, <laughs> but um. I got in Maryland. I was that one guy, though, like the one exception that was able to, you know, Coach Kyle could kind of finagle to get in. Right. So I got into Maryland again. Same deal. Just wasn't wasn't a good student. My first semester at at, uh, at Maryland, I got a point two five. So that's three F's and a D. First semester. First at semester, three F's and a D, and you know they're like, well, you're not, you're gone. Like you're getting kicked out. Jesus. 
So yeah, Jesus. So I had to meet with the whole board. Coach Cotto was there. Uh, my dad came down. Met with a board of uh, of people, and I had to I had to get I had to take two winter term classes. And this is when we we came back after uh, MLK Day. Come back. We would do optional uh, strength and conditioning for three weeks in a row. But that's also during winter term. So usually we would you know guys would stay and they would take one class to kind of you know get get some get three credits out of the way. I had to get two A's, and it was so six hours a day after 6 a.m. Uh, run and lift. So for three weeks, my life was just hell. And I remember Mike Mollett, who was our captain, uh, he wore number one at Maryland my, my, uh, my freshman year, and he, uh, he just attacked me one day in the weight room, and I broke down in tears. It's like, listen, he, he said that I wasn't lifting. I was just sitting there, and I was actually waiting for my set. I was waiting to go. Yeah. And he's he's just attacking me. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why aren't you lifting? And I just broke down. Like yeah. the things he was saying, like just being tired and like going through the things I was I was going through. I broke down in tears, went outside, and um, long story short, I got the two A's. <laughs> yeah, I got the two A's, and I was able to stay in school. They they allowed me to stay in school. And um, did Mollett know what you were going through academically? I, I gotta say, he did. But yeah. I, I feel like just per, you know inside, he didn't know like how much it was, how, how weighing it was on me. Yeah. Um, but again, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for guys like that, he cared. You know what I mean? He was, he was doing that because he knew I was. He need, they needed me to play. They wanted me to play. What What did you do to take those grades from a D and an F to an A? Was it spending more time? Were you not going to class? Was it the, the subject matter was yeah. difficult to comprehend for a number of reasons yeah. where we all struggle in school? Yeah, for me it was just not not going to class. You just weren't, weren't even going. There. It wasn't going to class. Yeah. Uh, my roommate was Bill McGlone. But I do remember hearing stories. In lieu of you not going to class, you would shoot all day long. That's what I'm saying. That's what people used to say that's about Joe. I remember hearing that on the street <laughs> when I was in Baltimore. That's what I'm saying. Like I was I was focused and concerned with, with playing. I wanted to be a good player. I wanted to start. I wanted to, to be a, um, I wanted to be a college All-American. I wanted to be a good player, and that's what I was worried about. So the lesson, though, is once you started going to class, you had to gut it out. Yeah, I had to gut it out. I mean, I was literally at sports study hall every day, yep. two to four hours a day, going to my classes. I had a, um, They put a, uh, a class checker on me, mm -hmm. so that was someone that would follow me to class, make sure I was there. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to go to class, just get the grades, and again, it, it all worked out. I graduated, which I'm super proud of. My dad, my dad did not believe me that I graduated until the diploma showed up at he the house. Believe didn't believe me. Well, well what, what was it? So you, you get the two A's, and then did you keep up that work ethic? Was, a lot of that is, is not sustainable for student athletes in college because we're doing you know, the, the maximum requirement we can practice and watch film with a team is four hours a day. But for any athletes that's listening, to be good at what you do, it's, it's everything you put in and around the team practices and team functions. So you're looking at in a lot of cases, six hours committed a day for us as athletes. That's what it is. You have so, to. so you just have to make concessions. But what, what were what were your grades like moving forward once you got that? Bump? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I was a four. I was doing it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I was average. I, but I you stayed, figured out the recipe. I figured it out. I was compliant, and um, that's that's it, man. I, I graduated. I'm proud of that, and uh, it, my story wouldn't be what it is if if I didn't have to do that. So, and did Mollett end up passing you the number one? Yeah. Yep. I wore number one the so next year. So you mended that relationship with him. Yeah, he's my guy. I mean, he's, he was a great, great leader, great player. Had one of the meanest split dodges I've ever seen. Hard, um, yeah. He hard would really extend that right leg or his left yeah. leg and plant and yeah. cut. I remember watching that. And he would invert. Yeah, that, well, that was his game. It was all invert? Was he a, a converted uh, midfielder from attack? God, I don't. 
He just liked to invert. He was like, that was our offense. That was it was four, four, fourteen see to play. Midfield inverts anymore. You don't see it. I don't know why. That's a good point. You don't see it at all. I think it's just the risk in transition, especially with the PLL. That's true. Yeah, you don't. You really it's don't the field see it. Shorter, but it. But we didn't. We didn't see it even in MOL yeah. as much. That's actually a really good point. I, I never thought about it. But yeah, he was a uh, good player. I mean, we had guys like Dan LaMonica. You remember him? Yeah, Dan LaMonica. It was me. Dan I remember LaMonica. Justin Smith, who went to Jamatha. He was like one of the dudes who, who big was boy. playing. Big, big boy. boy. He was good, man. Good, good player. <laughs> we had a transfer named. Um, Oh man, Brian Hunt. Do you remember him? I do. I, I, he was. Well, he wasn't number he, two, was he? Number two. Yeah. yeah. He like he busted up his ankle. His ankle like fell off. Uh, I think he went to Yale before, and he did his fifth year with us. And that was when we. He was. He was nasty. And if you looked at him, you were like, man, you would never be an athlete. Like, and you all lost to Virginia that year when yeah. that that senior class was humming. Tillman was uh, on fire. You remember that? That was. Yeah. In, that was at. Uh, that was at M and T. Yeah. He was. It was in the mud, and he was just a. He was a wall. I remember watching that. What, what's up with the uh, the history of number one? So it's just always been. Again, it started with Andrew Whipple. He wore number one. Yeah. And it, it, ever since then, like he wore it, Mollett wore it, I wore it, Grant Catalino wore it. It just gets passed down every single time. Now Jared, yeah. Jared Bernhardt. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Matt Rambo and Rambo. Yep. Shannon Chuck wore one. Shannon Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's it's crazy. It's that's a real number. It kind of kind of reminds me of of twenty two. Well, that's what, yeah. That's, for Syracuse. It's similar. Yep. Never happened for nine at Hopkins. <laughs> who, 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 wore, <laughs> <laughs> who, who wore it after you? Um, well, we gave it to John Greeley. Whew. He, he's, he's a good player. He's a good player. <laughs> no, we just actually just saw he him. Was in, he saw was him in, in Vegas. You did? Yeah. He was the number one player in the country coming out of high school. And then, yep. um, you know, I think he, he butted heads with the strategy over time. With the team, which could, couldn't get him going to the, to the degree that, um, you know, he at least was tearing up high school. That one to one conversion is just really hard. You, just, you never know Dude, high school tough. to college, and certainly college to pro, you don't know either. I mean, there are some unbelievable first team All Americans that have come either through MLL, and yeah. I'm sure we could look back at the PLL draftees, is like it's just the difference is skill. Yeah. It's like any sport. Though. I mean, any, any, so you said any level, any sport, guys that are huge recruits in high school that just don't amount to anything in college. And that's not because they're not good players. It's just, it's, I mean, it's like you said, philosophies, chemistry, it just doesn't, doesn't pan out. Yeah. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot then, speaking of um, oh, shit. skill. So this is two days before the expansion draft, so we don't know the results. But um, at most, I'm looking on my phone right now, at most – the Redwoods can have four guys taken from the unprotected oh, roster. You do this to me? Yeah, I'm gonna do it to you. Let's go. So, who are you? Who? Which players do you are? Do you want to come back the most? Do you, do you want to, or you're hoping don't get grabbed by the Water Dogs? Oh my I can God. go through some of them. So let's look at let's look at the Redwoods. We'll start at attack. So Clark Peterson, JoJo Morasco, Kyler Balestri. Then you have Westberg, Tyler Dunn, Jack Neer, Nick Ocello, Sergio Salcido, Patrick Harbison, Brian Carolunas, Larkin Kemp. You have Jerry Raganese, you have Jack Kelly and Gunnar Walt. Oh my God. Who do you need to stay on the woods? This is, oh my God, this is fucking terrible. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm going to give you a real answer that isn't. I'm not going to. I mean, call, if uh, anyone's going to give me a real answer, it's Joe Walters. I didn't done this with anyone else that I've had as, as my guest, but an answer that I actually like super like I, I believe in this, and I think this is about pro lacrosse in general. I think the most important position on the field is defensive midfield. Mm-hmm. I'm a big like I'm a big believer in that. So I don't want to see those guys go. And that's not to say that I, I'm okay with everyone else leaving, anyone else leaving, but I, I don't want to see, is it Jack Neer yep. and Harbs? I don't yep. want to see those guys go. Not only are they good players, they're great players, but that's just, it's a position where you need studs. You need guys that that you trust, right? Like if you have a good D midi, right? Yeah. You don't have to slide. And that's like, so it's like adding a fifth pole and it's just a super important position. So if there's guys that I don't want to see go, it's it's those guys. Um <laughs> You know, I don't want to see anyone go. I, I don't know if there's anyone else on, man, on that list. Man, it's well played, man. Yeah, thank well you. Played. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you're right on the D midi front, especially in a in a league where we had condensed it to six teams. Now there's seven, but the D midi is, from my perspective, even playing. You know, at one point we had 12 teams in MLL, and with that number of roster spots available you would typically have one at most yeah. lockdown d midi on that team yeah. and you can avoid dodging them in, in the pll like there's not a weak link oh. and so in some cases we're dodging poles over the d midis exactly <laughs> you're right i mean it's again it's if you can trust the d midi like it just makes everyone's job easier so yeah and again, it's if you face a guy like Neek, guys, guys that are just tough, tough covers. It, it makes makes everyone's job harder. Do so. you do you uh, knowing your film study background and you watching the PLL and knowing what the ten yards out of the midfield and some of the gameplay is changing? Do you think ahead or at least consult with Nat and and the rest of your coaching staff around different ways to play the game or different opportunities or things based on a faster clock and a shorter field? I think you saw this year. You know, a guy to, to call out is just Perk. You know, I think he's a guy right there that he is a two-way guy now. You know, I think before he was always offensive midi, come on the field, shoot the ball, shoots the shit out of the ball, and that's just who he is as a player. And he struggled. You know, he struggled in the, the first part of the year. And it was it, – I think it, it took him realizing that, like understanding that if you want to be – if you want to contribute, you got to – this is your role. You have to do it. And he embraced it, man. He fucking – that guy, he crushed it. He was great. He was great, and and I think that's 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 him now. Like he's, he'll, he played great D. Like he's a big dude. Yeah, played great D, and now he can run transition. He's got a motor for a guy his size. He's got too. a motor. Well, are you are you suggesting that the ten yards out of the middle of the field makes it easier for him? It, it, you know, certainly physically, but from a mental standpoint, getting down and back up and up and back down. I think it's that, and I think like once he crossed the midfield line, he's a threat. You're in range. So yeah. if you look at the championship game, right? I told him, I told him before, uh, it was like fourth quarter, no, third quarter. I told him, listen, man, we need a two. We need a two point. We need a two out of you. Like he's one of the only guys that can take and shoot it on our team. And he's all right, I got you. And eventually he's, he shot a two, which I don't think anyone would have thought about shooting. And he's like five yards behind the two point line. He just guns it and he scores. And it's like, man, that that's the PLL right there. Why why do you think that speaking of twos, we we moved it in from sixteen yards to fifteen yards. Why do you think there are you know fewer two point goals than maybe we would have expected by bringing it in a yard? 
I don't know what's, if it's the the talent on defense. I mean, you're you're facing guys who are just studs, so they're they're pressing out a little bit. Um, the goalies are unbelievable. I, I, the the goalie play this past season, I never seen anything like it. What's that all about? I, again, I don't know. I've never, I've never <laughs> seen it. Was every game where I'm like, Jesus Christ, like these guys are unbelievable. Guys making saves like Jack and Cannon, making saves that has no business making. Like that the year before we're playing in, in the outdoor league, like we're we're scoring all the time. Like yeah. no one's making saves like that. I, I remember you you played with Brian Carcaterra as I did in our last year in MLL and he's obsessed with lacrosse and he was studying the game film and he shot me a text in the middle of the season commenting on the goalie play and how spectacular it was and he was trying to figure it out. He he was thinking maybe it was a combination of um the two point arc actually being inside of fifteen yards, the that that has shifted the style of play offensively in the schemes because everyone's more compact. Also, the clock going from sixty seconds to fifty two seconds, so they're seeing more end of shot clock shots, which are typically weaker shots. Yep. And then he was going based on those two principles, going on the best goalies are the best when they can catch momentum or you know, start seeing the ball well, and that requires early saves and volume. Yeah. There's nothing more difficult for a goalie to play a game when they give up their first couple of shots in the back of the net uh, and or are only seeing 20 shots in the game. Yeah, I, again, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I can, I, I shot off a couple texts too with how impressed I was every single week with at the goalies. It's like, obviously like the offensive guys are there. Like everyone's a, you know, a great player, you know, defenders are great, the best face-off players in the world, but like the goalies are just—I was so blown away. Timmy Troutner, like he was a good college player, and I knew that we were getting a good goalie. This dude's making saves that I'm expecting Team USA guys to make. You yeah. know what I mean, guys that are seasoned vets, and he's just soaking them up. So, you know, the, the goalie play is the one thing that I can—I was blown away by. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for training camp because I do think that we have a whole season behind us now and a ton of data and our statistics team that we just brought on now full-time or spitting out a bunch of results from analyzing the game film that will be shared with the coaches and players and ostensibly the public through social. But I think this year's training camp is going to be a lot different and we're going to see different styles of play on field. We're going to see different outcomes. It was just wild because I think, you know, putting it all together so quickly, and the level of talent that we had, and then the coaches as well as the players trying to figure out, even though there's small tweaks to the gameplay, yeah. it still hits you in ways you don't expect. So I am anticipating, and and hopefully it's more Coach Rubes than anyone else, figuring <laughs> out that like we're gonna see some new shit. I would I would think so. I think training camp's gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna be incredible. Probably it's, gonna be some tilts. I would think so. Seven teams at IMG. A couple, a couple scrimmages, right? Yeah. I think it's going to be just like last year. Things got heated. I think you're going to see more of that. And, and again, I, I don't know. And, again, well, like one of the things in the first season, like how, how tight the games were. Every game seemed like it was an overtime game or a one-goal game, every yeah. single game. And I don't think that's going to change. I yeah. don't. I, I see the, the same thing happening this year. Except, except for your guys' game where you needed a win by – seven goals or more sorry about that yeah we, we were See, talking this is a shit talking right there you i was didn't with need to do that. i know i was, with, need to say I was that. with scotty <laughs> and i was with apple yesterday and we talked about that and it's like that that game i remember <laughs> at halftime we're up cav scores that two-pointer and we're like it's a fluke of it too right just my heart triple, dropped triple bounce like too. yeah and we're like oh man all right we're, we're we're in better shape now like that was huge it gives us some momentum 
and then we just the floodgates opened. It's like isn't that crazy? You guys in the locker room felt like you were in better shape, but you still weren't overly confident you were gonna hit it. But the vibe from the sideline, which I was on watching, was like, all right, these guys are confident. They know they're going to get it. And it's just a fascinating thing in sports that the viewing experience is so much different than the player's playing experience. Because yeah. we're always like juggling a number of outcomes in our head, trying to be present, perform, weighing the mistakes against getting back on the field. And it's just a whole different perspective. That's why watching film also is in a place of far more clarity in hindsight because you remember being on the field and being tired or thinking the game was over because you're down by three with five minutes left and yeah. in reality it's not yeah. championship game right there that was it that was it like we were down i told harry right we were down by seven i looked i was like man it's over this is it like yeah i was i was hanging my head I, i'll be the first to admit it I, I told him it was over and then i think near scores a diving goal right and then obviously Perk hits the two. Brent hit that shot Brent from hit, midfield. That was a big one, right? That was so crazy. It's like, so it's like now. Nah, oh Did Berg God. was that an intentional? No, I mean it wasn't. Did he say it wasn't? He shot it. Like uh, BA was just shooting it. Yeah. And then Wes, I mean, I can honestly say that he intentionally was putting a stick out there. That's a that's a very Canadian. But very, was he trying to catch it or was he trying to hockey deflect it in? I think he was trying to deflect it. Really? Yeah. Like, Did you guys ask him? No, that's a good question. Come on, though. man. Someone's got to ask him. I was hoping we were going to get that. God damn. I uh, didn't even think about it. But I'll find out. I'll find out for We you can though. find out. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if there's anyone who's going to have that type of hockey deflection, it's going to be one of our offensive Canadian players. Right. That, but, it, I mean, to do that at that stage from that distance in that way was was unbelievable. Yeah. And if it was fortune, it was fortune. Great. But I really want to know if, he, if he's – I can almost guarantee it was intentional that he was Damn. trying to deflect it. Um, that's just I mean, if you watch hockey, right? That's what they do. They practice that every practice, just yep. tipping, tipping pucks in. So. so, but you guys don't practice that in your practices. No, I hope we don't either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing it. So, what was the uh, locker room like after the game? Man, it was just that was gut wrenching. It still is. You know, we we talked about it. You know, at uh, at lunch yesterday. I mean, I can't to score a goal. Scored that goal, the go-ahead goal with a minute 30 left. I'm like, I took my helmet off. This is it. Like, we're, we're going to win. Greg goes out there, wins the face-off, yep. right? Uh, we get the ball. We kill the whole clock. Um, Jules, you know, Jules has the ball. We kill the whole clock. Does everything right. We do everything right. And they get the ball back, call timeout. And, and you know, we got one of the best defenses in the league. Yep. And, you know, you just think you won. You, you've already won. And, you know, credit to Matt Rambo. He, he – he took over, you yeah. know, I, I've never, this is my first time, obviously, um, being really close to him on the field and like witnessing him as a player. I was really taken back by how good he is. You know, I mean, he's, we, we always knew he was good. He wore number one, you know, broke my records. Um, he was a beast, but I, I actually like witnessed how good he is and he just took over Yeah, and you know, credit to him, credit to the whip snakes. You know, they, um, they, they, they did what they had to do. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm in the same boat, man. I, I I knew how good Matt Rambo was, but in any professional sport, when you have your league's MVP and in that moment in a championship game where everything's on the line and you give it to your league's MVP and they convert yeah. and then do it again, it, it that's just, real shit. It like val- that validates is, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, that's a, like a once in a lifetime of a career in Philly moment. In front yeah. Of everyone. Like it just, just and then you have the goats who've who've done it on a number of occasions, and and 
yeah. the one that always comes to mind is MJ, six championships, six championship game MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> where well, you're just like, come the, on. The best show up, right? They show up when it matters the most. Yeah. That's just that's how it is. And if you want if you want to be the best, if you want to be one of the best in, in the sport, whatever you do, you gotta show up when it matters. So yep. he did. Um, so it, it sucks. Uh it'll it'll light the fire at training camp. You know, when we see it, when we get our team back together, that's what we're gonna be talking about, be thinking about, um, just trying to get back there. So, and what's your role now? You, like, you know, disrespect aside, uh, like let's 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 pay let's pay some respect right now. What do we got out of you in 2020? The same as you always get. I'm gonna be the same player I'm always. I mean, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try and be the best leader I can. You know, me and Harry are gonna lead this team. Um, and again, the reason why I play, it's not. It's not for money. It's not for fame. Obviously, it's it's none of that. It's to win. Like that's that's been my mo for the last. I always tell people this, but like when we won with the Nighthawks three in a row, that really solidified like what I want out of playing. I want to win, and I feel like once you get that feeling, once you taste what it is to win, you want that feeling every time you play. Every season, if you don't feel that, if you don't get that feeling at the end, it's a failure. You know, whether or not you had a great personal season, whether your team losing the championship, right? Like whatever it is, if you have a great year, regular season, if you don't win, if you're not the last team standing, it's a failure. And that that feeling of winning a championship is like no other. So I, I need that. I need that feeling again. Do you uh, do you feel like that feeling is heightened now that you know, we're both here and playing in our mid thirties? We're up against time, father time. Time's running out. You know, we only got whatever we have left. You know, I, I don't see myself playing much longer. Um, I still feel like I can be a good player. I still feel like I'm doing some things on the field, so I'm still playing right now. Um, and again, like I said, if, if you, uh, and, and more importantly, we talk about being a leader. I want other guys to feel that feeling. I felt it. I felt it, you know, five, six, six times in my career, whether MLL, NLL, man cup, I've felt that before. Um, I want guys that haven't felt it, what it feels like. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, uh, that's the goal right now. Good shit. All right. We'll end there. Thanks, Thanks dog. You got it. All right, that's it. Thanks to each of you for listening to another full episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap, that is, if you got this far. And if you are here, hang on for just another minute. I want you to do two things. One, give Joe a follow on social media, at jwalters1. That's on his Instagram and Twitter is where you'll find him. Secondarily, whether you're listening to this on Apple or Google or Spotify or Stitcher or TuneIn, please subscribe to the show. That's a button you'd click. And then there's a rating option. They'll give you five stars. Click on the fifth star to the right. All five stars should fill up. And that means you gave us a five-star rating, which is great. And then the last one, review. So you can type in like, this show is awesome. Everyone should listen to it. Or, hey, Paul, for your next guest, ask them who their lacrosse idol was. Or, hey, Paul, for your next guest, Ask them who the most hated player in the PLL is. Stuff like that. And then next week, we welcome our first ever WPLL athlete, Miss Alex Aust. That was an awesome show. So I look forward to talking to you guys then. Thanks again for subscribing and following Joe and listening. We love you. Mm.